Welcome to the Kata Brothers Travel Club, a new podcast where we explore some of the world's best destinations through the stories and experiences of locals and people that have had meaningful adventures there. We may be stuck in quarantine because of the COVID-19 pandemic, but that doesn't mean that we can't explore the world. Join us, and no matter where you go, you'll always feel like a local. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Kata Brothers Travel Club. I'm Jared Kata. And I'm Brendan Kata. So we're still in quarantine, and this week in particular, the travel restrictions are really getting us down. And that's because it's Memorial Day weekend, and uh, Jared and I usually like to take advantage of the long weekend to visit somewhere exotic uh, that we haven't explored before. And each time it's a fantastic trip that Jared plans almost entirely. I wanted to ask him for some travel advice that we kind of touched on in the first episode. Jared, how do you usually make an itinerary when you're planning a trip to a new destination? I'm glad that you asked this because it was brought to my attention that you addressed it in the first episode and then I never really responded appropriately or like gave you a solid answer. So this is my chance to redeem myself. And I'm thinking that a lot of the audience probably gets a hint at the way that I plan travel based on the way that we ask questions to our guests. I like to break it down into four categories. Food, drinks and nightlife, culture, and outdoor activities slash excursions. And those are the areas that I think make up a great trip. I want to say like, you need to experience all of those things to have a better understanding of the location that you're going. So to start with food, that's pretty straightforward. What are the best places to eat? You want to find cuisine that is important to that region. Then we move on to drinks and nightlife because, come on, obviously, as soon as the sun goes down, we're going to be out on the streets or in the bars or whatever. Culture, that's like museums or places of historic importance or monuments, the types of things that are meaningful for the context of the country itself. And then finally, the outdoor activities or the excursions. And so that's things like taking a boat uh, like we did in Cartagena to go to private beaches. These are the excursions that take you outside of the city and into the surrounding environments. Maybe you're going on hikes or maybe you're seeing something uh, like ruins. And so I like to look at every destination from the lens of those four categories and plan a trip that encompasses all of them. The other thing that I like to do is make sure that I stagger really active days with kind of laid back days. Uh, I learned that lesson many times where it's just like go, 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 go on every day and you never take a chance to just chill and explore on your own and let the like, let your adventure take you where it's going to take you. That's what I was going to say. I feel like incorporating those more casual days makes you feel the most like you're a part of the city than any amount of busy active tourism you could do. Definitely so. Yeah, I think that those days actually give you the best sense of of the culture of the city and you often stumble upon some of the coolest spots, Yeah. say. Yeah. And then the last travel tip that I like to do is I always plan the go hard night on the second night. Interesting. The last thing I want to do is wake up on my first morning in a country or in a new place and be painfully hungover. That's another lesson that I've learned a lot of times. And now I've started to always do like the most drinking on the second night that I'm in a destination. 
and typical typically you plan the wake up early things on like that second day like hit the ground running and i don't want to have to work hard to get up that morning that's great very helpful tips and hopefully when we reschedule the uh, trip that we're missing this year for another time it'll be easy to like look at those i like having the four pillar system that you mentioned and uh I don't know, I'm excited to, to plan a new destination once we can travel freely. Me too, and we should tell the audience that we were planning on going to Curacao this weekend. Yeah. Uh, and we haven't been to a Caribbean destination yet. We've been to Mexico and Central America. We went to Colombia and South America. And I think that it was time for the Caribbean since those are the three areas that Miami is really adjacent to. Yeah, I agree. I was excited about that. And... You know, I'm sure we'll go to Curacao in the future. It sounds like a beautiful place. Now, the place that we're talking about on this episode is very different than Curacao. So it's a little funny that we are introducing this concept of the Memorial Day travel to a tropical location on the episode that we're doing today. Brendan, do you want to introduce where we're going for this episode of the Cotta Brothers Travel Club? In this episode, we're going to be exploring the undisputed capital of the Pacific Northwest, Seattle. Situated in the furthest corner of America's Pacific Northwest, Seattle is a city of innovation that's always been ready to embrace change. Throughout its history, Seattle has been the epicenter of booming industries, first as a lumber town, and then as the gateway to the Yukon Gold Rush. Today, it houses some of America's most important companies, including Boeing, Starbucks, and Microsoft. All of this adaptation and ingenuity has led to a city that defies convention and embraces progress. Seattle is a place where artists, techies, and executives alike feel perfectly at home. From the moment you see the Space Needle nestled in among the misty green mountains, you know this place is unique. Seattle is composed of a hodgepodge of vibrant, eccentric neighborhoods, quirky farmers markets, and some of the country's best museums. One soon realizes that the pursuit of knowledge and enlightenment inspires Seattle's residents to explore both inside and outside of the city's borders. Seattle's relationship to nature is just as much a part of the city's culture as Pike's Place Market. Just a short drive outside of the city will take visitors to two of the most unforgettable national parks in the United States. Mount Rainier, an awe-inspiring reminder of the Earth's volcanic origins, and Olympic National Park, the highlight of the North Pacific coastline, featuring dense forests and sea stacks that shoot ocean spray high into the air. Seattle is a city that invites exploration and welcomes the unconventional. Rain or shine, there are boundless experiences to be had. That's why travelers return to Seattle again and again. It's known as the Emerald City, and it's fueled by the spirit of adventure. To give us some insight on Seattle, we're going to be talking to my very good friend, Connor Alvarez. Connor and I moved from San Diego at around the same time, me coming to Miami and him moving up to uh, the Tacoma, Seattle area. And even though it's been three years, neither one of us has gone to visit the other, which is unfortunate, just because it seems so far, we moved about as far as you could possibly get. Um, so this year, I was, real, I was committed. I was going to make a trip to Seattle. I was planning it out with Danielle. We were looking at times when we could go. And then obviously all those plans went right out the door. So I'm excited to have this opportunity to know what to do when I go. Because as soon as it's safe to travel in the U.S., that's probably the first place I'm going to go. 
So before we get to the interview with Connor, I should mention that we had originally planned on interviewing both him and his girlfriend Leilani. Um, Leilani unfortunately wasn't feeling well that day, so our interview was just with Connor, but she's mentioned a couple times in the interview. So just so there's no confusion when that happens, when he refers to Leilani, it's uh, his girlfriend that he lives with up in Seattle. So without further ado, here's our interview with Connor. Thank you so much for joining us today. I just want to first start by saying that we really appreciate you taking the time to speak with us about the place that you're living in right now. So if you could give an introduction to the audience, that would be awesome. Tell us where you're living and what you do there. Yeah, my name is Connor. Uh, I am living in the city of Seattle. Uh, and I am currently an educator at the Museum of Flight in Seattle. That's right. And, and Connor, you were telling us before we started the recording that uh, this isn't your first rodeo on a Cotta Brothers production. Can you uh, give us a little background on your podcasting abilities? Yeah, <clears throat> I believe we talked about The Room uh, on a certain podcast known as Bit Party. Um, and we discussed the artistic, emotional, societal, you know, depth of that film, The Room, which is very good. <laughs> One of our top episodes. So we want to explore, just to start off a little bit, with your history in Seattle. And the, the question that I wanted to ask is, first of all, how long you've lived in the city? And second, when did it start to feel like home? I mean, you and I have known each other for a long time, way back in San Diego. So when did your like perception shift to think of Seattle as the place where you want to stay for a while? Well, when I first moved up to the Pacific Northwest, I lived in Tacoma for a year. Oh God, when was that? I, I feel like I've lived in Seattle now for two, two years. And I lived in Tacoma for about a year before that. So the last two years, I would say about I've been in Seattle. When I lived in Tacoma, I would come up to Seattle sometimes for like events and stuff. So I kind of knew the city a little bit. I would say that Seattle started feeling like my home, I don't know, maybe like a year ago or so. And once I started really kind of understanding the layout of the city and the, the vibe. If you could describe the vibe of Seattle, how would you do so? Well, you know, we grew up in San Diego, and so it's easy to compare because that's the only other city I've really lived in. Seattle kind of has very much a West Coast feel like a lot of Californian cities for sure, but very much more in tune with nature. And there seems to be a stronger sense of community here. At least that's what I've felt. Um, people like to stick together in their neighborhoods. It's this weird dichotomy where uh, neighborhoods are really important and communities are really important, but there's also this kind of standoffishness in the people, whether that's because they're like, high, there's a lot of highly educated people here and a lot of people who kind of like to just stick to their own thing, a lot of tech people. Um, so a lot of people who are doing a lot of computer work. I would say the vibe is, is pretty relaxed generally, but there's definitely a lot of industry going on as well. You can feel the growth. Yeah, and Seattle kind of has a, it's always been kind of like a boom and bust town throughout history. It kind of started as logging and that kind of thing. 
Um, and then it kind of became a portal to the Yukon for a little bit. And of course, all these kind of fads kind of came and went. And then the city was built up and then a bunch of people left and it became really kind of run down and then it got built up again. And we're kind of right now, it feels like it's in the middle of that building up stage or maybe even close to the end of that building up stage. Nice. Very nice. And just for context, what community or neighborhood do you live in? So West Seattle is the neighborhood um, <clears throat> that we are currently in. I really love West Seattle. It has a really interesting history, too. This is obviously a travel podcast, as Brendan has warned you. So uh, we're going to go a little bit away from the in-depth interview of your personal life, as much as we're interested in uh, your thoughts uh, on the vibe of the city. We're going to move a little bit into some things for people to do when they arrive there, starting with everybody's favorite thing to do, eat. So can you tell us a couple of your favorite restaurants in the city and uh, what their specialty is? One restaurant in particular, and is the first one that I thought of just kind of right off the top of my head, is this place called No Bones. And it is a vegan restaurant. I'm not vegan. Leilani is more vegan. Um, but their food is just really, really awesome. Um, and it kind of has a almost Hawaiian meets Mexican fusion kind of deal going on. Wow. Um, there's, yeah, there's like a lot of Asian Mexican influence, <clears throat> but it's, it's really, really good. You know, it's a little pricey, but they have really good cocktails as well. Um, and they have a really cool kind of theme in there, which is all, almost kind of tiki-like. They're always playing surfing movies on the TVs and stuff like that. Very cool. There is a sushi place downtown called Umi Sake House. Pretty high-end, definitely. Definitely don't go there very often. But they are killer, and they have amazing rolls. They have some really authentic uh, menu items as well, stuff that you don't see in a lot of Japanese places. They're really known for their sake list, although I haven't really explored that, to be fair. You're from San Diego. We're from San Diego. We know that the late night menu is uh, all about burritos and Mexican food. What would you say is the late night food for, uh, for you? Um, that's a good question. Definitely not Mexican. Mexican food does not have a huge presence here. There are taco trucks around and things like that, definitely. But I would say late night food. There's a huge following for this place called Dick's, uh, which is a burger joint. I've never eaten there because <laughs> it's, it's burgers and yeah. oh, I yeah, don't eat yeah. beef. But people love it. It's, it's open really late or maybe even 24 hours. I don't quite remember. Hopefully no one hears that or else I'll get crucified. <laughs> really good burgers, um, good fries. and. There's also a good variety of pizza joints up here. And I late night, it feels like whenever I'm out, like at a bar or whatever, and I, I need some food, I typically lean towards pizza. And there's some pretty good pizza here. Okay, that's great. Hey, that's a, that's a great late night option. You know, Seattle, of course, very famous for being the, the home of the original Starbucks. So everybody loves Starbucks. We don't have to go into that in depth, but I know that coffee is a big culture in the town as well. Do you have a favorite coffee shop that you go to maybe to work or to uh, just to hang out? To be honest, I usually make my coffee at home. Oh, okay. You know, I just do it at home and it's like not a big deal. Sure. But 
if I'm going to get coffee, there is one place I do really enjoy, and it's called Olympia Coffee. And they're actually started in Olympia, not Seattle, which is the capital of Washington. But they have stores here. They have stores in Tacoma, I'm pretty sure. And it's it's really good stuff. I really highly recommend Olympia Coffee. How do you like to make your coffee at home, though? I was using just like a regular drip coffee machine for a while. Then I broke it. Uh, yeah. So I actually just got another like Mr. Coffee today just because it's easy. But in the interim, I was using a French press thermos that Leilani got me for my birthday. Really good. Are people whatever about Starbucks or is it like a a city pride? You know, definitely both sides. Definitely both sides. I, I think a lot of people just like just don't really care that much. Like they'll go to Starbucks and like, you know, they'll get their drink or whatever. And then I've met some people who are very militantly against Starbucks that are like, they burn their beans, bro. I don't want to go there. <laughs> but there's a big building here. That's the Starbucks headquarters that has the logo on it. So there, there's definitely a, a presence. Like a watchtower keeping track of yeah, the city. <laughs> exactly. Right. But that, that's, that's cool. All right. No more about the, the commercial parts and the corporate parts of Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> you said that it's broken down into some pretty tight neighborhoods what would be the best neighborhoods to go out for like a nightlife bar scene? For a nightlife bar scene, I would probably have to say Capitol Hill. And Capitol Hill is, is kind of like the uptown area of Seattle, I guess. You know, it's like adjacent to downtown, but it's not quite as urban or dense. Tons of good bars. It's really close to Seattle University. So you get that whole kind of college vibe as well. Um, which brings a lot of lively energy to the bars. Um, good variety of bars, too. There's a really big gay presence there, too. So a lot of gay bars, some good karaoke bars, some themed bars, things like that. Um, is there a particular drink that you like to order that you feel is made really well in Seattle? Mm, not really. I drink, I drink mostly beer. So nice. there's a lot of really good <laughs> beer in Seattle. I do like Elysian. Um, Elysian is from Seattle. They have a, the Elysian Space Dust is pretty popular. A lot of people like that. Fremont Brewing is another really good brewery <clears throat> located in the Fremont neighborhood, and they have all some really, really tasty stuff too. Are there any bars in particular that you would call your favorite? Uh, yeah, I would say there's one bar that sticks out, and that's at a ball because it's a pinball bar. Pinball also has a pretty big presence here. up here. It's pretty popular. There's like multiple pinball bars around the city and in other cities in Washington. And I really enjoy pinball. So I like going to add a ball, um, getting some beer, playing some pinball. That sounds really fun. I, I saw there was this. a pinball museum too. Yes, the pinball museum is really, really cool. Probably because it doesn't really feel like a museum. Um, <laughs> it really just feels like a big room full of a ton of pinball machines that are on free. <laughs> That's really cool. <laughs> To get a little bit more specific, we like to consider ourselves dive bar connoisseurs. And we were wondering if there are any dive bars that you like. Yeah, um, there is the diviest dive dive that I've ever been to probably um, in West Seattle. It's right down the hill from my place. Uh, it's called the Tug Inn, I think. Um, and yeah, it is, it is pretty gnarly, bro. It's across the street from a Home Depot. 
and it just says tug in and it has it's had a sign on it for a long time advertising like a dollar fifty bud lights or something i don't know have you and, ever been in it yeah one time i've been there okay. one time it's just dark <laughs> just like dark and you, there's always some people at the bar that you're like i don't i don't want to get close to you that's that's exactly our spot. Yep. If we were to come visit you in Seattle, would you go with us to tug in? Yeah, I'd go with you. Nice. I I wouldn't want to be there all night, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, too I'd, bad. I'd, yeah. I'd get one beer there. <laughs> <laughs> There's one thing about Seattle that a lot of people know and maybe prevent some of them from visiting, and that is that the weather can be pretty rainy and dreary. But that doesn't necessarily mean that there's nothing to do or that the town shuts down. What are some of the best activities that you can partake in when uh, the sky is falling? Yeah, it does. It does rain here a lot. That's for sure. Um, the rain usually isn't too oppressive. It's not like crazy, like typhoon rain. It's like pretty misty. So it's, it's pretty manageable. That being said, obviously, I don't want to hang out outside when it's raining. Um, so things that we often do, I mentioned pinball. Um, we'll go to Attaball or we'll go to the pinball museum. There's also a, um, an ice cream pinball parlor. So it's ice cream parlor and pinball, just in case you don't drink. <laughs> Again, we'll with the crazy we'll fusions. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we like putting things together for no reason. <laughs> There's a lot of indoor rock climbing here as well, I think because of the weather. And a lot of people up here are super outdoorsy, but obviously you can't do a lot of rock climbing when it's raining. So there's a lot of indoor rock climbing, which is really fun. And there's also a couple of really cool board game cafes in Seattle. So we'll go and we'll get some food or some drinks or whatever. And then they have just a ton of board games in their library. Usually these are places that are like specifically board game places. So they don't have just like sorry and stuff like that. They have legit new board games that you can try out and see what you like. And then we play those and it's really fun. You said that you are currently working in the, as an educator in the Museum of Flight. When I was looking into the city, it seemed like there were a ton of museums all over the city. Are there any favorites outside of where you work in particular that you, you want to highlight? It is a pretty big museum town. Um, the University of Washington is one of the few schools that offers a museology program, actually. So there's kind of a big museum footprint here. Some of my favorites are Mopop, which used to be called uh, the Experience Music Project or the EMP. And uh, it's a museum all about pop culture. So there's a sci-fi gallery, there's a fantasy gallery, uh, there's a music studio gallery where you can like go and jam and record. It's really cool. And then another one of my favorite museums is called the Nordic. And it is a museum that kind of focuses on Nordic country, Nordic history, and the Nordic history in the Pacific Northwest because there's a, there's a big Nordic presence here. Very cool. It's no surprise that Seattle businesses are good at keeping people coming in when it's raining outside. But another thing we wanted to ask you is, when it is nice, if you happen to be there on a nicer day, what's something within the city that's a, a must hit when the sun is out? Something that's really nice to do, and this is kind of hard because it only, they only happen on certain days, but going to the farmer's market, there's a ton of farmer's markets around the city, kind of linking back to those neighborhoods. Every neighborhood will kind of have a farmer's market. 
Um, and the farmer's market is super fun. Tons of really fresh produce. There's a lot of fresh meat bakeries and stuff that come out and there's restaurants that will have like little booths and stuff so you can grab some food we also like to just go to parks and like hammock um so that's something that's really fun there's a lot of really nice parks in seattle and they did a pretty good job of kind of maintaining their park system and make sure the park's really nice um and going to hammock at a park is just super relaxing and fun and we'll also sometimes go to Pike Place Market, which is, of course, a huge tourist destination for the city of Seattle. Um, and sometimes we'll do that on the weekends because we can uh, take a water taxi from our neighborhood to pretty much directly to the market, which is pretty cool. That's cool. OK, I got a lot of questions all of a sudden, which is great. First of all, explain to the audience what hammocking is. It is, is it just what it sounds like? It is exactly what it sounds like. You take your hammock. You take your straps or whatever, you go to a nice park, you try and find some trees that are the right distance apart that maybe has a good view or whatever, and just chill. Just bring a book, bring a speaker, bring some snacks or whatever, just hang out. Now, one thing is we're looking for sponsorship, obviously. So if we were to pursue any hammock company, what would you uh, recommend we reach out to? Oh, dang. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have a brand named Hammock? Or did, did you make your own hammock? That would be really cool. And I now I want to, because you said that. But no. Leilani bought me a hammock a few years ago from a swap meet. It was a good price, and it's a decent hammock. <laughs> Brendan got me a hammock a couple years ago, and I, I am sad to say I haven't used it yet, but I keep it in my beach bag or at least near it, so I'm going to have to break that out. I didn't know that it was an actual event, hammocking. I'm excited to do it now. You've inspired me. So now my, my other question is tell us a little bit more about the water taxis because I had no idea that that was a popular way to get around the city. Seattle has there's a lot of water. Uh, involved and it has we have a really extensive ferry system that is really useful for kind of navigating all the different little inlets the ferries can take you to like certain islands or they can take you just north and south along the coast which is really cool the ferries hold cars so you can drive your car onto the ferry and then the ferry will take you to where you're going and there's a ton of different ferry routes the water taxi is kind of different the water taxi is just one route um, and it basically goes from West Seattle, the neighborhood that we are in, and it goes pretty much directly straight to downtown. Very cool. Wow. Very cool. I, I think that this is the first episode where a water taxi or some sort of boat transportation has come up as a significant part of public transport. And that's really good to know for anyone traveling in. I feel like it gives them so much more diversity in places where they could stay, knowing that there's easy access to a lot of the city. Definitely. Yeah. If you wanted to uh, go to downtown and see all downtown stuff, but you didn't want to be kind of in the middle of everything, you could definitely use West Seattle to your advantage there. Have you ever caught a fish at Pike's Place Market? I have never caught a fish at Pike Place Market. Uh, I have seen many a fish be tossed, but I have never done the receiving. Do you have to like sign up? Is there a list to get on to do it or do you have to be like famous? No, you just have to buy a fish, and the fish are very expensive. But you <laughs> and know, they just huck it, it at you. Yeah, basically, you, the whole idea. Well, they, they do huck it at you, but it's it's more it's more about them hucking it to each other. So you'll be like, "Hey, I want to buy that giant yellowfin tuna or whatever," and they'll be like, "Okay," and you know, they'll toss it to one guy, and then they'll toss it to another guy, and they're yelling and 
it's it's just a big deal but no you don't need any kind of you don't need to be the fish's dad or anything uh <laughs> you're just buying the fish so that's really what they want <laughs> is there a, a stall or a stand at, at pike's place market that uh, you go to do you get any of your groceries there we don't get any of our like main groceries at pike place market if we lived like really close, it would be really cool because I do have a really good selection and it's not like the prices are like super outrageous. Um, but there are some specialty things that I do go to the market for. I get some really good golden raspberry habanero jelly at the market. And I also, there's also a really good chocolate covered cherry vendor called Chukar Cherries that are really good. Very cool. We know there are a lot of amazing things to see in Seattle, but if we had a limited time, we like to ask this pairing of questions to get an idea of how to build our itinerary, uh, where to spend the most time on our visit, or maybe something that's off the beaten path. Uh, so the first question is gonna come from me and then Brendan is going to ask you the follow-up. If you had to identify one site in Seattle or one attraction in Seattle that was overrated, what would it be? I would probably say, honestly, Space Needle. Okay. It's like really iconic. Everyone knows about the Space Needle, obviously. Now, the reason that I think it's overrated is because I think the Space Needle looks coolest when you're on the ground. And it, like, it looks coolest when you see a part of the skyline or like a part of you know, the city. Going up into the Space Needle is cool, but... I think, honestly, the most enjoyable part of it is just kind of what it adds to the city as opposed to the actual act of going up the Space Needle. Interesting. It's funny to me because actually when we did our Toronto episode, you know, they also have an observation tower. And for our friend Simon, he called that the underrated part of the city, that not a lot of people go up there. So I, I like that. I like that there's the two, the two sides of that. Okay, so that's very interesting. And Brendan has the follow-up a little bit more optimistic. If you had to pick somewhere that was underrated, you felt maybe a little bit more hole in the wall, what attraction would that be? Yeah. Um, now, this is a little bit harder because I, I think there's a lot of things in Seattle that are underrated. <sighs> if I had to choose one, I might say uh, the Arboretum. Seattle has a really cool Arboretum. It's like somewhere between a nature preserve and a park, you know. They have tons of different plants documented. It's kind of run by the University of Washington. So there's a lot of, what's the word I'm looking for? Or like archiving almost of plants. And it's really big. It's huge. So you can walk around for a long time and it's, it's really nice. That's incredible. Actually, one of the things I've heard about Seattle and that area in general is that the biodiversity that can grow there is unique to anywhere else in the United States. You know, I think that is true. Um, this region is very temperate, but also very wet. The Pacific Northwest is, is home to one of the few temperate rainforests in the world, or at least in the United States. The area around Seattle is, definitely has a large amount of biodiversity. There's tons of animals, there's tons of plants. It's definitely teeming with life up here. We've been tiptoeing around it, and I know that it is a big part of the Pacific Northwest, and you've done a good job avoiding getting right into the national parks and the, and the hiking and things like that. But we feel like it's a good time to, uh, to dive right in. Uh, so can you tell us maybe what your favorite 
national park is in the area uh, that's accessible from the city? Yes. And yeah, this is something that obviously I, I love about this city. Um, there's kind of three, as far as national parks go, there are three that are kind of within the region. North Cascades is the most forgotten one, and it is the hardest one to get to. Um, I actually haven't been to North Cascades yet. I would like to eventually. But two big ones are Mount Rainier National Park and Olympic National Park. And if I had to choose one, it's like, it's really hard to choose one because the, the beauty in both of these places is just insane. I might give it to Rainier, but only by a hair. Any reason in particular why you would uh, choose that one over the other? Honestly, it's so hard. Olympic is home to the temperate rainforest that I mentioned, one of the only rainforests in North America. It's home to some of the most beautiful, rugged Pacific coastlines that I've ever seen in my life, huge sea stacks, um, things like that. Uh, and it's also home to some beautiful lakes and kind of mountainous areas. Um, whereas Rainier is just home to like Mount Rainier, which is like the craziest mountain I've ever seen in my life. When you get up close to it, it literally looks like a snowy wall because it's so tall and it's so steep um, that it just, it's really breathtaking when you see it. And it's also home to Mount Rainier, I should say, is home to some of the most beautiful wildflowers that occur um, that I've ever seen, as well as some really beautiful alpine meadows and really clear lakes. I don't know. It's just like, it's that stuff you see in a you know like an rei commercial or a wilderness commercial and you think like where is that i've had that sensation over and over here i've always found that when i go to a national park i think oh that's why it's a protected space it's so obvious because it's so beautiful what do you do when you go to these places is it a day trip hike or do you ever camp overnight in the area yeah we'll often we'll often camp we'll usually stay for two days maybe um car camping usually nothing crazy like backpacking um, i have some friends who like to go backpacking and we'll take day hikes so we'll find some hikes we might have to drive a couple miles to get to the trailhead and then come back to camp hang out uh, make some food things like that so nice to have that kind of nature accessible from a major american hub that's really exciting and, and i think one of the critical reasons that everybody needs to get up to seattle and not stay just in the city, but experience everything that's around there. Yeah. Brendan has a, a final question here, and, and I want to say personally that this has been a, a great interview. I should say that we've been wanting to reach out to you since we started this podcast, because uh, Seattle is a place that neither of us have spent a significant amount of time in, but it's always been a, a place that we are curious about visiting. And I think that this last question that Brendan's going to do is going to really entice a lot more visitors. Connor, you talked a lot early on about uh, the vibe of the city and how it has a very distinct feeling compared to some other places that you've lived in. And so what I want to ask you to close out the episode is, could you give us a story of your time in Seattle that you feel best exemplifies uh, the feeling and what it is to live in this place? I... Honestly, I, I thought about this question for a long time, and I, I had trouble thinking of a specific story. Like, at least for me, a 
in order to kind of get to know a place, it's more, it's like the day-to-day things, you know, like, yeah, I can take the water taxi over to Pike Place Market, like, that's kind of crazy, that's just, like, a sentence that I never thought would apply to me. Yeah, I don't know, man. (laughs) I think that a lot of the stories that you gave us from the the national parks, uh, the water taxi, just all of those feels, to me, capture what the city is all about. I mean, it's such a gentle play between the nature and the downtown area, fun things to do, pinball all the time, apparently. Uh, and, and so for, for me, I mean, I've always been sold on, 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 on visiting Seattle, but it's nice to know that we have uh, somebody there that can hopefully show us around. And uh, yeah, I really wanted to thank you again for being on here and, and talking with us. Uh, yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Uh, it's always a pleasure to come on here and have a little chat. You're, you're an absolute veteran of the Cotta Brothers podcasting. <laughs> now I am. I yeah. gotta get my purple heart. <laughs> I don't, hopefully not. That won't apply here. <laughs> Thank you, Connor. <laughs> we hope we see you soon and uh, get out of quarantine safely so that we can get on a flight right to uh, Washington State. You're always welcome. Thank you so much, Connor. That was a really fun interview. It is always a pleasure to do a session with a veteran of the podcasting world. Your episode of Bit Party is such a treasure to us. Uh, it is definitely the worst movie we've watched so far for that podcast, uh, but we appreciated your take on what is arguably the worst movie in history. That reminds me, everyone who's listening to this should go check out Bit Party. It's the podcast that we do with our brothers about movies. And uh, Connor's episode on The Room is one of my personal favorites. Jared, Connor mentioned a lot of places in Seattle. What are you most excited about when we go to visit? One thing that stood out to me about Seattle is their obvious obsession with pinball. Uh, Whether it's the Pinball Museum or Attaball, the Pinball Bar, it seems to be all over the city. And uh, I don't know what's up with that, but I plan on exploring it as much as possible. Uh, The other thing that I really want to check out in, in Seattle is Pike's Place Market and the original Starbucks. Now, a lot of people don't know this, but we both worked at Starbucks before we got our current jobs as hospital administrators (laughs) (laughs) and cancer researchers slash podcasters and podcasters. (laughs) And so I've always had this desire to go see the original store. I'm sure it's beautiful. uh, And and I do plan on catching a fish at Pike's Place Market when I go. So that's a a, a life dream. That's a bucket lister for me. Brendan, what about you? What are you really looking forward to on a trip to Seattle? I'm really looking forward to the outdoor excursions. I definitely want to explore the city. It sounds like a fun, quirky place. But I feel like the real personality of Seattle resides in the the nature around them and in the city. Which of the national parks would you look forward to visiting the most? I think I would have to take Connor's recommendation and uh, check out Mount Rainier. It sounds like such a unique place and it'll be a good one to check off of like my uh, must-see national parks yeah and plus we don't get to see a lot of mountains in miami but we see a lot of coastline that's true that's a good point too not that it's the same even remotely but yeah mountains are cool (laughs) 
You know, actually, that reminds me because the national parks are, are something that I'm super passionate about. I mentioned it during our talk with Connor that whenever I go to one of those parks, I really understand why that has to be preserved, why this area has to be preserved, because the natural wonder there is unreal. You just can't even imagine how vast some of these places are, you know, including places like the Grand Canyon and even the Everglades. Incredible amounts of beauty. And what I really want to do is actually feature a bunch of stories on this podcast about the national parks and people's experiences there. I have one friend, at least, that I know that is a park ranger, and it would be really cool to hear some of his stories. That sounds really cool. And one thing that I really like about this podcast is that it gives us room to do episodes that aren't just regular city guides. As much as I love learning about some incredible cities, I would also really like to talk to people who have had meaningful experiences at national parks or like the world's most beautiful beaches. And I think those would make really interesting content. Well, speaking of really interesting content, we have some amazing interviews coming up uh, on our next episodes, our next two episodes, I should say. They're going to be really great interviews with travelers that have gone far and wide in the world. So with that, keep tuning in to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. We'll be back next week with another incredible episode. Thank you for listening to the Cotta Brothers Travel Club. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button if you're on Apple Podcasts or the follow button if you're listening on Spotify. That way you can be notified when new episodes drop. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Cotta Bros underscore Travel Club. We're always looking for new content and everyone has a story worth telling. If you want to share something, email us at Club at gmail.com. No underscore on the email address. Finally, we know these are difficult times, but you're not alone. This podcast was our outlet, and so is the support of our friends and family that are helping us to make it. However, if you're feeling lost or depressed and don't have anyone to talk to, email us or DM us on social. Even if it's not about travel, we're still here to chat. If we all work together, we'll be back to adventuring soon. See you next time.